Welcome to another week of the podcast that dares to attempt syllogism oh. in spoken word form. Yes, I am the Razor Boy along with Mike Heike and Jeff Totes. The uh, propaganda from Holy Puckaganda, I think, is on hiatus for this week. As we brisk through this one prior to a road trip, a perhaps defining road trip, but first, we are all here for the deductive reasoning, are we not? Oh, yeah. That's basically what we're here for. And thought we'd started off this week with the Stars coming off a 5-4 win against Arizona. Uh, and, and after the victory, the head coach of the Coyotes, Rick Tockett, says, it seems, this is a quote, it seems like every time we play Dallas, Sagan and Ben near the end, always come up with big plays. That's why they're great players. Big players make big plays in tight games. That is the absolute definition of game breakers. And that is what separates great from good, both individually and as a team. Would you not agree, senior writer for DallasStars.com? I would agree wholeheartedly, and I think it's contagious. Uh, I do think you've seen... Contagious? Yes, I think you've seen guys like Andrew Cogliano or Blake Como come up with quote-unquote game-breaker plays in recent third periods uh, because I think they're dragged into the battle by Ben and Sagan and, and Radulov, I think, too, as, as well at times. Just because, like... Jamie, I think it's the other way around. You think so? I do. Weird. A little bit. Okay. Because I was going to say, Jamie didn't have a great game the other night to start out with, but then I really felt he was the guy driving the bus in the third period. I know Tyler came up with some really big plays, uh, but I just thought Jamie, like, just sometimes when he just starts kicking the puck forward, I love that. <laughs> like, he's not even using his stick. He's just, like, kicking it and pushing it and just bowling forward and, and just dragging the whole mass of the game with him. Uh, that assist on the game winner, I thought, was just fantastic. Well, all three guys were involved yeah. in that. And that is your expectation of your best players. Right. The game's in the balance. It's late. Are your guys going to execute better than whoever their guys are? Right. And I'll go back to the old Kevin Lowe quote from the Oiler days, and you and I have spouted this one before. And this goes back to when Madonna and Hall were kind of a thing with the Stars, and his quote was, Brett Hall has the ability to do squat for 50 or 55 minutes and then win the game. Yep. And you watch the way Tyler's gone about his business the last two home games. You know, it's a it's a semi-soft Angora-encrusted tally against Minnesota, but he's the guy that scores it. Correct. He's the guy that gets in a position to crank it. He's the guy that got wide open in front of the net. Jamie Ben was the guy that fed it from behind. Alexander Radulov was the guy that got in there with intent and forced the turnover early. So, and this is happening. Um, I'm not going to say habitually yet. I mean, we tend to go yeah. all gaga on a four win or five streak. game win streak, which is nice. And it's the longest win streak they've had this year, but it's starting to happen more consistently. It feels like now. Yeah. True. 
Yes, definitely. Uh, and and I think it's funny we uh, we talked a little bit about you know break and coming out of the break and all of those things and hopefully I'm not jumping into this too. You quickly. are slow anyway, your segue. Slow my down. Okay. Uh, yes, you are correct. And and I do think it's a mindset. I do believe that you know those two. <laughs> all right. We we well we won't shy from this. When Jim Light said, "Hold it, you're pa- you're supposed to package this stuff." Okay, that's so stuff? that we have another segment. Okay, we'll have another segment. We're just talking on game breakers. We're just on at the game end breakers. Of a game, at the end of a game, game right now. In the balance, Mike. Stay on point. Jeez, I'm crying out loud. Totsy. We used to have chemistry, Daryl. I don't know what's happened. All right. Uh, yes, you are correct. Well, look at the the team doesn't get into overtime and shootouts. Correct. Well, shootouts are yeah none. non-existent. They haven't had one since March. We're almost a calendar year. Isn't that, Isn't amazing? that crazy? Yeah. But in overtime, and because Winnipeg was just in here, we ran through. I think heading into the game, six of the previous sixteen games went to OT. Yeah. Now your best players are going to play in overtime, but it was interesting to see the individuals that scored. All the winners. It's like Klingberg, Sagan, Ban. Yeah. Now you push that a little earlier into games, and you're in a third period. Monty's talked about having to play through games or wanting to play through games. Right. You go back to the losses against Colorado back when the Avalanche were actually a thing, and they are drifting and spiraling. It's a death spiral they're in right now. Yeah. But they they didn't ex- they couldn't execute when it was at its zenith the game and now it feels like that that thing has been flipped a little bit yeah i think they were what 1 6 and 2 when tied after two mm-hmm. which i like back in the day to me that was a huge stat yes, because i agree the stars inevitably it was 1-1 one, one or 2-2 two, two after yeah. two periods and they found a way to win the game they yeah. found a way to make that play yeah, re- being relentless and and with belief which right. you were alluding to yeah and calm i think there's it's i i actually did a story on these figure skaters and i'm in the middle of writing it right now oh i can't wait and they're pairs national champions <laughs> And what they talk local about. here? Yeah, they, yeah. they work out yeah. of Euless, and then they won the uh, Ameri- USA. They are the top seeded figure skating pair in the nation right now. So if the Olympics started tomorrow, they would be leading Team USA, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they said they had to learn in three years is not only to do these details and everything right, but at speed. And so when everything is flying at its fastest, you have to have that ability to be calm and to, you know appreciate everything the spatial uh, comparisons it's between poise. yeah it's poise and poise at speed yeah and i think that's what we're getting to now uh, as much as they're not an offensive powerhouse he does want them to play fast and so if you play fast and you make good plays and sometimes that is just kicking the puck three feet forward or kicking mm. the puck to your stick if you make those plays consistently at speed and have that poise you're a much different team. Yeah, I I agree. The other part of the equation is that you need to survive the odd chance for the other team too in order to set the table for the heroes at the other end. And goaltending is a big component of this as well. I mean, as much as uh, Tyler and the heroics and all that, with the goalie pulled and a power play late, you need your netminder to make a save. And Ben Bishop did that last night there have been years as you know we've covered this of uh that gigundo save 
when the game is on the line net mining and there have been years of the opposition just having to hang in there knowing that that goal is probably going to be given to them at some point and it's it's as much about whether you're going to win games or lose games because most of them as you mentioned are are tight like that so you get the combination of of clutch goaltending at the right time no matter what the score is right. and that was a point I made last night you know we've won some we they've mm-hmm. won some one nothing games this year one nothing where margin for error is zero at right. the position and then you get into games where you're a little more accommodating defensively and they weren't very good in in their own zone and even Ben played a role in it when he got Romy in late in the third period but the game's on the line. You come up with that save. That was the greatness of Grant Fuhrer back in the day. Even Eddie. Yeah. I thought I thought Eddie was, was that way for this team when they wouldn't score very much, which is foreshadowing. It portends a segment as we wrap this thing up. But now, Mike, lack of patience, Heike, it is time for you to lead into what you are so eager to talk about, which and, – and breaks is kind of our theme this week in Rinky Dinking. Speaking of breaks, uh, what did the all-star and uh, bi-week break do for this team? I think because it was so long, it really did allow them to think. And then I do I do believe that one game against Winnipeg was incredibly important to put their mind in the right place to think about things. Because I think if you're always sitting there going like, well, we've lost four in a row or whatever. I'd love to really sit down with a group of them and go, how much did you think about this? Well, that's a good point. Maybe because, and I'm not, like I'm not trying order. to be facetious. No, no. I'm just saying there's no question there was a core group of them that did. Right. But there was a lot of them that didn't think a notion about what went on or what was going on. They just enjoyed a break. When I went into the locker room after that first practice, like, guys, you wouldn't have even... Did they, were they exhausted from thinking about how wonderful the win over Winnipeg was? No. <laughs> but it's so funny because I, I, I told Mark Stepneski, I'm looking at Essa Lindell, I go, I think he's going to throw up. You know, like, he had... Really enjoyed the break. Did he get much. too much sun? Is yeah, that I why? think that's what it was. And you're going like, you, you wouldn't think Essa Lindell would be that. I think but it's, that's just the I way know, it is. They're I know. young guys. I, I think it's so off. great, though, because it, it is so pedal to the metal yes. now. And everyone's so close. It's not like you can relax and, and stink for a week and still kind of hold your place. Like You, you tumble down the standings right. when you do that. So to see some of the translucent skin... Scandinavians a little bit tanned up in late January. Yeah, this is a good thing. It's a nice thing. Yeah. And then I was going to say, Amani, uh, I think his mindset changed a great deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we you know we t- we get a chance to talk to him because he is so open and honest as a yeah rookie, he is. as a rookie head coach. And he we'll beat that out of him in oh, no I time. Know. And I, it's funny. I think what part of his his uh, plan coming out of the break is to make his answers much shorter. Uh, yes. Uh, so, and that's fine. I don't mind that at all. But the point is, he basically said, "If only we could get this during this <laughs> as well, <laughs> right?" Look at Totes. He's at just totes. nodding. Totes is listening. To, he's hanging on every yeah. word. Anyway, he's he, like the color man in Major League. <laughs> anyway, he, Monty said he got too result oriented, and you could see it. He was mad. He was frustrated before the break, and then you know, if you, as you look at him now, I do think he's like. I have a process. I believe in my process. I'm going to stay calm. And now we're watching him do this while they're winning. I was going to say. That's a whole lot easier. <laughs> but 
I still also believe that what you do while you're winning <laughs> adds to your winning. And he, he and I have had this discussion because he changes lines a ton. And I said, do you think the fact that you don't change lines when you're winning might be adding to the fact that you're winning <laughs> and as opposed to when you're losing, you're changing lines every period? Yeah, I brought that up on our award-winning broadcast last night. Uh, it's the chicken and egg theory, right? And I don't, I can't figure it out. Like, does winning breed stability, or is it the stability that breeds the winning? Right. So, we've had we had two Hall of Fame coaches. I think Lindy will probably end up in there too, just because of all his wins. Uh, and both of them, I've had this argument with both of them, and they said, "No, when you lose, you have to change." I mean, these guys have been doing it for you know, 20 years, and they, they firmly believe when you lose, See, the you argument would be that when you're losing, that's when you should trust the process. That's what I think. And, again, if it's accurate, Jim Montgomery has had that epiphany during this break yeah. that he is going to trust the process. We'll see. I asked individuals if it was a restart or if this was a continuation, and almost unanimously, they said it's a continuation, which surprised me a little yeah. bit because, and maybe it was the the victory over Winnipeg. I bet a lot of a lot of them w would have had a different answer if they rolled in with another home loss, yeah. and it was like we need to reset, restart this thing right now. But I I still felt like it was a a bit of a restart. That much time off and just what had been going on. Yeah, they stopped the bleeding there before the break, but it felt like they needed to start anew and almost treat it like it was a uh, shortened 33-game season yeah. in sprint to the end of this thing. But it, it did seem like a mental or attitudinal restart uh, to the season. And I remember Jim Montgomery talking before the season about how he breaks down the season. And he's, he's starting to sound and seem more prophetic with this. He, he talked about in the early portion of the year, the concentration would be about 70, 30 on defending. And then when you got around mid season or so, it, it would be 50, 50, a balance between scoring and, and defending. And then once they got into this final uh, third, if you will, of, of the campaign, then he would start seeing the fruits of their labor and more offense and, it would be automatic, and it would probably feel like it's at least 60-40 right. slanted toward offense. I don't think they've gotten that far. No. And the offense hasn't come as quickly, I don't think, as anybody uh, wants it to. And sometimes you have to just look at the makeup of the group, I think, and go, you know, how many natural goal scorers do they have within the confines of the available players right now? But I think the, de the demarcation line was – probably coming out of that was it the loss to st louis yes and it, it was early january right yeah. maybe around the 10th that or was something the one like where that. he told everybody before the game they're going to be really fired up to play you so you better be ready for this game yeah and they were not ready for that game no and they lost three to one and that was the uh culture of mediocrity correct statement after the he game. was mad because yes. he told them be ready and they weren't ready they didn't listen so it, you look at that time he he's obviously frustrated and he not squeezing out of this group what he thinks this group is capable right. of. Jim Neal makes a trade, 
and they swap Devin Shore for Andrew Cogliano, uh, who's a guy. He's the type of person and player that they that you need when you've got a little tumult going on, yes. because he's the absolute professional. He's going to play the same way all the time. He's done enough things that he's not shy to speak up. And he had speed, which yeah. they wanted to do. So he had all that just two weeks after the lambasting of Ben and Sagan. So to me, if you look at you look at that window of time there, you look prior and now you look after. And I think that's that's where this thing got spun in a different direction. He seems to think it was a road trip out west that they sort of got their act together. But they had they had a successful one through Western Canada. They had a disastrous one through the Pacific. And now they look like they got their act together. Yeah. You know what's interesting? It's funny, as much as we sit there and say, oh, this defensive base or this or this or this, I think they're playing good defense now as much as, you know, the goaltending has been good yeah, and all and that. All the, like, I think everyone admits that. They're back, like, early on, I don't. You know, as much as the goaltending numbers are great, I don't think they were a great defensive team. They were a boring team that just threw the puck in and didn't do anything. Here, when they're back in their own end, they're hustling to close passing lanes. They're hustling to cover players. They're hustling to help out their teammates. Um, it's like it's a very fast game when they're in their own end, and I think that's the key going forward. And if they can play fast in their own end, I think it will move up ice, and they will become a faster team for all 200 feet. The caveat in all of this for me is that, and I agree, that's that's true, but it's hard to play that hard all the time. Yeah. Like, that's why the offense is important. It can be, it can be so enervating to go that hard in tight games and just grind it out over and over again without – being able to exhale and you know score five goals in a right. 5-2 win or a 5-1 win. So it's good. It's a good base. It's probably something they can go back to all the time, even if they drift from it a little bit yep. here. They're going to get tested on the road. You know, Even the game in Nashville, they needed another rather brilliant performance from Anton Hudobin, who should start in Nashville. If, if I was going to offer my uh, thoughts on it, I would start Anton. It's a genius move. So thank you. What about first round of the playoffs there, Daryl? Yeah, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? At well, Nashville, hey, where he's got 197 out of 198 hey, saves. Hey, look, nowadays, whatever. you're getting ahead of yourself there, Heike. <laughs> nowadays, you have to use both your goaltenders in the playoffs yeah. if you're going to win. And the best example is the latest example, because they the Washington Capitals started without yeah. Holtby in that. And, but for other reasons. This, this would be more performance-based yeah, just a little <laughs> against bit. an opponent. All right, straight ahead uh, as we're going to go uh, a little Super Bowl chatter. Okay. Everyone wants a little chit-chat about the old Super Bowl, and we'll try to link it with hockey because that's what we do on Rinky Dinking, and we do that next. Skinnamarinky Dinky Dink, Skinnamarinky Doo, I love you. So Super Bowl has come and gone. And as you and I know, around here that means full focus on nothing but the Dallas Stars now yeah. <laughs> as football is over <laughs> completely. Well, until whatever the spring league right. thing is well, I like starts it. up. But I enjoy it. It was I- the lowest scoring Super Bowl ever at 
13-3. Yeah. It was 3 nothing deep into the second half. It was Pontapalooza. Yeah. Uh, the equivalent, I guess, in hockey would be off the glass, dump and chase, grind it out, territorial, we like to call it, quote-unquote. Uh, you know, win the game you're in. Yeah. And brilliant coaches can win in different ways, and he's certainly in the brilliance department, Mr. Belichick. But it was a reminder for me of the 99 Cup final. Didn't it? Did you think of yeah. that? Yeah. Well, it's funny. My daughter said, oh, they're going to be embarrassed to win the 3 nothing." I go, no, they're not. Oh, no, 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 they're no, They're going to no, be no. really happy no. if they win the 3 to nothing. No. They did have to score a touchdown in order to get a shot of Giselle up in the <laughs> box, though, celebrating. Oh, well, you know. You want that on the telecast. You do. I mean, <laughs> they, were, they were just waiting for a moment yeah. to get Tom Brady's misses on. I thought Tom was going to have to throw to Tom in order to get a touchdown out of it. I don't know, but he was okay. I, I think his receiver. You know what? I, I watched a, uh, an interview with Sony Michelle last night when I got home. He is he's a neat dude. Yeah, he was really funny. He was on Jimmy Kimmel last night. It was great. I urge our listeners to go find it. Okay. Uh, but anyway, back to uh, my point. I thought in my mind that the '99 Cup final was the lowest scoring Stanley Cup final in the history of the NHL. Did you not? I think that too, or that, what yeah. do you remember? I I, I don't know if, the, if that was. number was actually etched in stone, but yeah, it sure seemed or like... Or did they have, you know, we have so many cutoffs. Yeah. Expansion era, the post-World War II era, the uh, after lockout era now. The, it, there's all these... Yeah. And we did have the cold medicine game in there. Maybe that upped the numbers too high. No, we didn't. Wasn't that in the 99 finals? No, 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 no. That was... That was the following. Oh, year. that was okay. That was. You're that right. was in the final against Jersey. That was in Jersey. The Jersey. Okay. <laughs> you love that one, don't I do. you? Because <laughs> that was that. that was supposed to be even lower scoring. The Jersey Stars uh, final. We had two we, two crazy ones. The uh, seven five afternoon game in the conference final. When it was just like, where, where did this game right. come from? Eddie Belfort hated just detested afternoon games, and backed it up in that one but then he also backed it up after that but my my recollection was that that was the somehow that was one of the lowest or not one of that was the lowest scoring stanley cup final but the reality is it was the 1945 stanley <laughs> cup final did you know this i had no idea All right, i'm gonna drop some knowledge i on love you. your knowledge so that was the red wings and the maple leafs in 45 they, it was a seven-game series. Wartime, you know, a lot of the good players are off yes, to war. Yes, yes. 18 goals were scored in seven games. There were five shutouts registered. Did they allow the forward pass in, in those yes, games? Yes, that came in in 29, <laughs> 29. you jack wagon. <laughs> I know, I was being sarcastic. Each, each team scored nine times in seven games. Wow. That is the lowest scoring Stanley Cup final. The 99 final, I went back and looked at it. The, the It wasn't far off. No. Not as many games. They only played six games, right? Sort of. Not, uh, for all intent and purpose, they played seven. Yeah. Triple overtime in the in the ender. The scores were three to two, four to two, two to one, two to one, two to nothing, two to one. 
What's that? Twenty two goals? Yeah. But I will say this and, and twenty two goals. They, they were they were very defensive, I will say that. Yes. But you also had Ed Belfort versus Dominic Oshik. Yeah. I mean that's so that's not saying it was completely boring. There was some good goaltending but going you, on. So there. then you had Bill Belichick against Bumson in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And we got thirteen three as they match minds. And this is in, I think, one of the highest scoring uh, NFL seasons ever. So they, right. said, they said it was very ironic. There, by no means was 1998-99 one of the no. highest scoring National Hockey League no. seasons. But again, you, you win the game you're in in whatever manner you can. And that's, I think, the best trait of any team that has any designs on championship. Uh, that you have to be able to morph yeah. within it. That's why I I have a lot of affection for the Winnipeg Jets and their makeup now. They look like a club that can win a lot of different ways. Yeah. And if the Stars continue to trend the way they're going right now, you know. This little window is a great you know example of that. It is. Uh, because that Minnesota game, uh, that third period, you had to win a, a certain way – Maybe confidently, I guess I would say. Then the Nashville one was, I mean, you really had to come back and play a different game than you had been playing earlier in the game. And then this last one was just all over the place, and you still had to find a way to make that play at that time. I mean, you scored three power play goals against the best penalty kill in the league. Right. And it's your second power play that's, you know, kind of sparking things. if they can get the Coyotes to shoot the puck out of the rink a few times again on Saturday, it'd be... Great, but who put that pressure on? This is just like there was no pressure on Jalmerson. This, this is just like there was zero. <laughs> he was just tired and made a mistake. Who kept him on the ice to keep him tired? There was some on Kempe. There okay. was a little bit of pressure oh, yeah. there. See, there you go. And we, as I pointed out, we do have the lowest glass in the league. Side glass, there you go. five feet. All the glass has to conform somewhere between five feet and eight feet. Low glass. Stars players are used to that. Opposing players are not. Advantage. Dallas Stars. It's all intentional. On home ice. All right, let's get out of here because we have to go on the road. So what do we have upcoming? We have another date in Smashville. That will be an interesting contest. Uh, We go to Arizona. The boys are bringing their mums on the trip. And uh, and then we come up back. We uh, change underwear and head to Florida, take on the Tabbies, the Bolts, and then we go into Skullclapville and the Carolina Hurricanes. Tom Dundon's making that a fun place. Well, that's gonna make that's gonna make rinky dinking. There's no question. The millennials love this. Stuff. Well, we'll discuss it. <laughs> we'll, we'll and we'll give Totsi a microphone for that one. Uh, but I bet we'll talk to all of you next week from South Florida, and we will speak the truth. Even if our voices shake, rinky dinking is back in a week. Thanks, everyone.